Unlocking what was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Hey Mike, did you know that if Bowling for Soup wrote 1985 now, it would be about 2004? I, I hate you for saying that. And with that, Neil, let's go live. All right, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. It's going to be a great episode. we got lots to talk about. Talking about a film today, our second movie that we're talking about on the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. But first, got to talk about a few things. We've talked a lot about juice boxes before on this show. Maybe mm-hmm. not a lot, maybe once or twice, but <laughs> I think it's about time that we talked about straws. We're going to get a little bit more granular when it comes to using the juice boxes. Is there a correct way to use and open straws? Do you bend yours? How do you, how do you go about using straws? Yeah, straws are, you know, straws are a good topic. I like straws as a topic because mm-hmm. it's very divisive, as we learned when we talked about juice boxes. I think that was on episode one, actually, for this uh, podcast, Neil, oh. uh, when we talked about uh, how do we properly open uh, juice boxes and how how we, some of us, pull the straw, just rip it straight from that, <laughs> that, that Tetra Pak juice box uh, without a care in the world. And then it, it got me thinking... You know, how how do people use straws generally? Because there was a lot of debate around that. People thinking that we were crazy for, for using uh, straws in that certain way. For me, at least, first of all, I hate paper straws. I understand why they exist in the environment and stuff. But, mm-hmm. hey, Amazon is putting out, like, they send you a package. There's so much plastic in that thing. Maybe let's cut down <laughs> on that first and then yeah. let's worry about the paper straws. But, yeah, a lot, most paper straws are unfortunately just not well made because obviously they're just going to make it as cheap as possible. So they just disintegrate the the, the, the moment they hit water, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is really sad to see. So uh, if we're not talking about paper straws, we're just talking about those regular good old environment-killing plastic straws. Uh, how I open them <laughs> is uh, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a hit on the a surface and open them that way. Uh, I, I do the peel, mm-hmm. even though straw packaging is terrible and also seems to disintegrate like like paper straw packaging uh, they never really figured out straw packaging unfortunately so i'm the one who kind of has to peel i peel a little bit at the top basically i do the little peel, top peel yep. and then i pull it down uh strip it and then you know put it into my drink nice nice yeah see i don't use a lot of juice boxes anymore so i don't really have to deal with the uh the whole spearing the straw through the plastic i was more th- i'm thinking now about the uh uh, the mass consumerist, you know, buying a thousand plastic straws at a time. Do I use those? Do I use the metal ones, the paper ones, like you alluded to, which are god awful? Uh, I don't really use straws at all, like in my day to day life, at least. I never like, <laughs> I never need to buy them. I never. I no. we have metal straws in the house that uh, my fiance uses, and and we wash them and recycle, or we reuse them and wash them and everything, which are great. Those are fine. She uses those for her Coca Cola or Dr Pepper or whatever it is. But I just drink stuff straight from the glass or the can or whatever it is that I'm 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 doing. I know that like they've say they say that you know you use a straw and it saves your teeth because it 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 takes the sugary drink and bypasses your teeth and all that mm. crap. There, I'm sure that there's some merit to it, but I drink so much tea on a daily basis, I don't <laughs> think that a straw is saving me at all. <laughs> you don't use a straw with your tea, Neil? That's weird. Oh, that 
That's a power move, actually. I should start doing that. I think that'll that'll make me really stand out from the crew. Yeah. <laughs> a metal straw just gets like hot as hell, and then I just drink tea through. <laughs> I'm just gonna power through this. <laughs> but as a kid, I was really into using straws. Like we, it was just yeah. it was just nice to have a straw in your drink. It's part of the aesthetic of drinking something. Of course, you know, fast food restaurants they put straws in your drink. But I was a really big fan of the curly straw. We had a bunch yes. of those when we were kids. You know, the loop de loop ones, and and my family we had maybe three or four of them that we would just reuse and there was there was a couple of them like one of them had two loops one of them had three and the other one had four uh and the one that had four loops in it you had to suck so hard to get the (laughs) to get whatever it is you were tricking out there because just i guess the resistance of the loops caused more and more uh, you need more suction to get the to get that iced tea out of the glass so i i do love the curly straw those are great uh and also licorice straws got to give a shout out to the licorice straw mostly at birthday parties but you know your mom would cut the nibs off of a, of, of a Twizzler, and then you can use that as a straw just to add to the cavities of drinking Coca-Cola with, with more sugar. Just add sugar to sugar. You know, what's zero times zero? It just keeps going. So Exactly. <laughs> they cancel each other out, I think. So, yeah, that's where I come down on straws. Mostly something as a child, you know, very fun. But as an adult, don't really need them. But, Mike, I have something else on my mind today other than straws that I want to get to really quick, and that is that people need to learn how to check out properly at Dollarama. And I guess uh, for our American or European listeners, if you don't know, Dollarama is uh, our Canadian dollar store chain. It's very popular. There's one per square kilometer, basically, in the city of Toronto, at least. And uh, the one near my house, Mike, it's it's got to be the slowest I've ever seen in terms of the checkout process. And I blame every single person in that store who shops there. Uh, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're in line, uh, you need to have your credit card ready to go. Uh, I don't know why we're still trying to do exact change at the dollar store. I can't stand watching someone searching their bag for like that extra nickel or quarter and then their change is still wrong because no one knows how to do math anymore (laughs) just have your card ready to go tap it and and leave like i can't stand watching people fumble with the you know all this crap that they've picked off out of the shelves and and they're also trying to figure out how to pay it just slows it up so badly and i feel like I, i i i don't know i don't think i'm skilled at very many things but i will say i am very 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 efficient at getting in and out of dollar stores I think this goes for any store, really, Neil. I, mm-hmm. I understand the dollar store because people buy a lot of little items at yeah. dollar stores rather than like doing the big grocery run where they have the cart and they have tons of stuff in the in the bags. But I understand. I get that, and uh, it uh, it's very it's very tough to go through. It's uh, this is a, a tough first world problem. Is oh yeah, <laughs> is having to go through these checkout lines because yeah, like some people have no clue how to. Not even self-checkout, but just like normally oh, checkout. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, this is the normal checkout. Someone's getting your stuff for you. They got your bags yeah. and everything. And then I, I don't know why some people are in at the front. And sometimes they don't even buy that many things. Like I totally get it. Some people, they do big shops at the dollar store. I, I've never done that. Like I've never needed a buggy at the dollar store before, but it looks <laughs> like fun. Um, like, I, you know, those people can take as much time as they want. It's the people that are buying a birthday card and a pack of batteries. Why are you there for three minutes? <laughs> Yeah, you should be like 30 seconds max, and then you're out that door and back on the street. But yeah, that was just something that I noticed this week. I was like, why am I in line so long? And like nobody ahead of me has that much stuff. Like These transactions should not be complicated. So I, I just want everybody to know, if you're at Dollarama in Toronto, please have your credit card ready to go. Have your reusable bag so that you can buy those uh, plastic straws. Yeah, well, yeah, we need we need to save the environment with with bags. We'll get rid of plastic bags. Mm-hmm. We'll keep the plastic straws. That makes oh, yeah. sense. Maybe people will also be there buying bulk plastic straws. Who knows? But maybe, yeah, checking out. Just I feel like just checking out in today's society in today's life 
is mm-hmm. has become such more of a hassle. Like I feel like ever since the pandemic, people really, really did not figure it out. Like I, I notice all all the time too in like grocery stores how it's it's always a hold up with someone, um, and not even that, just like shopping. Like mm-hmm. I, I, people people have no idea how to shop properly. Uh, it's it's it drives me crazy when someone is just standing there with their cart blocking the aisle, of course, oh, yeah. and staying there for for minutes on end. Like I'll I'll. I won't. I don't like to bother people if they're like looking at the spice aisle and I need spices. I'm not going there. You know, I'm 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 circling back later. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, hover over them. Picking spices out is a very personal thing. You don't want to interrupt them. Like it's hard. You know, you, do I need the ground clove? Do I yeah. need the full? Do I need the uncracked peppers? Do I need the ground pepper? I don't know. Like you want to let people take time on the spice aisle. I'll give you that. That's true. exactly. You want to let them take time. You know, yeah. you you circle back. You get your veggies, whatever, and somehow. Five minutes later, they're still <laughs> looking at it. And it's like, what What are you doing? I, I even had this experience recently. I was actually at a pharmacy. I was looking for some reactant. It's allergy season, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, time to get some reactant in me. And uh, <laughs> there's three people uh, kind of hovering around the allergy med aisle. Not Ooh, actually yeah. looking, but kind of just hovering, like knowing that, like, someone else was there, so they didn't want to butt in, so they're just kind of mm-hmm. hovering around. It's like... Just go to another aisle. Go do something else. Like, why are you here? <laughs> That's another tough one, though, because allergy meds, it's a very personal thing. It's like, do they need, do I need 48 tablets? Am I going to have a, is this going to be a bad allergy season? Do I need quick acting or do I need long lasting? The mm. Seinfeld joke, you know, yeah. like there's a lot of variables with allergies. You know, do, do I want to maybe, is this the year that I finally try Claritin or the, <laughs> the store brand? Or do I just stick with my regular reactant? Do I have any at home? Should I wait for a sale? There are so sure. many factors when it comes to allergy meds, but no, you're totally right. Like, the whole shopping experience these days is very strange. And you think it would be better now because, you know, we have the opportunity to to research the stores, flyers before we go, and, and we have credit cards and, and Apple Pay and all this. Like, we're not writing checks anymore uh, in grocery stores. Like, it should be faster. But for some reason, checkout lines seem to be getting worse. And I, I think we need to make a stand and uh, and find ways to improve them. I'm just going to start barreling through some people at the dollar <laughs> store if, uh, if things get to be too bad. Writing checks—that's a whole—that's that, a topic for another day for sure. But that's that's a, that's something that we definitely didn't grow up with. But no. it would be very interesting to just like have people writing checks at the checkout line. <laughs> uh, how much is that? Twenty-five dollars? Okay. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you still can. I don't think I've ever written a check in my entire life. But you're right. That could be a topic for another day. For now, Mike, I think that it's time that we jump into today's episode. What do you say? Let's do it, Neil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 11 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we loved from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet, hosted by people named Mike and Neil. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit a topic and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Last week, we celebrated Star Wars Day on May the 4th by covering our first ever Star Wars game not on a Nintendo console, Star Wars Battlefront 2, the 2005 edition of course. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week we are celebrating 25 years of maybe the greatest satirical science fiction psychological comedy drama film. Of course we are talking about the 1998 classic The Truman Show, which was released on June 6, 1998, directed by Peter Weir, 
Produced by Scott Rudin Productions and Paramount Pictures, it clocks in at 103 minutes, made $264 million on a $60 million budget, rates a 9.0 on Metacritic, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 4.2 on Letterboxd. And as I said before, it's a satirical science fiction psychological comedy drama film. That is the real Wikipedia definition of this film. It, it is quite a mix of genres. Yeah, I mean, I actually really love that, to be honest, because oh, it does too. describe it really well. It's a sat- satirical. It's definitely, there's a big psychological part of it, and the drama, of course, comes with that. And in some sense, it's science fiction. You know, it's something that mm-hmm. is not real necessarily, and maybe in the future, who knows, alternate history maybe. But um, yeah, it's uh, The Truman Show, uh, 25 years of it, uh, and uh, it's pretty crazy on the budget, too, or on the, what, it made back, $264 million. Uh, yeah. On a on a very modest budget for for this film that would have had to use a lot of extras and would have needed a lot of planning and work to create it, so uh, a a big success for sure. Mm-hmm. This is the height of the Jim Carrey popularity too. In the late '90s, he was hot off of doing movies like The Mask and Dumb and Dumber and like Me Myself and Irene and all those comedies. So this was quite the left turn uh, for him, and uh, he was uh, joined by a pretty good cast. Uh, we had Jim Carrey, Laura Linney, Noah Emmerich, Natasha McKellon. I can I can never get this name right. Natasha McKellon, uh, Holland Taylor, and of course Ed Harris, who plays kind of like the antagonist God character in the movie. So a uh, really good nucleus of character. But like you said, also really good uh, extras, like great characters that you might only see in one scene, but the scene is hilarious. And then you never see them again or you see them come back and there's a little gag that you'll that you'll uh, get to get to know them for. And uh, it's great. It's just a a fantastic film. But let's uh, jump back real quick to our memories of this movie from 1998. Mike, do you remember seeing uh, this film back in the day or did you watch it when you were more of an adult? Both, actually, Neil. Uh, unfortunately, I did not go to theaters as, as a five-year-old to uh, <laughs> to watch this movie, uh, but I did have it on VHS. My parents had it. Well, I asked my mom, actually, the other day. I was like, where's the VHS for The Truman Show? And uh, <laughs> she's like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> I don't know if it was my parents or my uncle, but some family member had The Truman Show on VHS, and I watched it, I think, Christmas of, like, 2000 or something, and I remember watching it because I was a big Jim Carrey fan at the time, of course, uh, like all the movies you were talking about, The Mask, uh, I think I had just recently watched because I got it in a cereal box. <laughs> uh, I got the DVD in a cereal box. That was a big deal. And uh, and, and getting a DVD as well was a big deal. So uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, we had Truman Show on VHS, watch it for the first time. And I was really confused. I, I remember a lot of scenes. It's, it's funny kind of what sticks out to you as a kid. I remember his dr- driving scenes. Uh, specifically, I remember when he was kind of going in like a 180 or 360 uh, uh, with the car with his wife, uh, who's kind of freaking out. I remember that mm-hmm. as a kid. I, of course, remember the ending really well and like the the, the cloud backdrop. Uh, I remember getting scared uh, sometimes in that movie, too. I remember kind of like getting a little scared at the, the nuclear power plant, like and the, the people who are kind of going around him and, and subduing him. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think I, I was watching it again this week and I was like, you know what? That might have scared me because I had recently watched E.T., which has a similar kind of thing with those guys with the um, uh, hazmat suits on. And yep. that always scared me as a kid, too, uh, with these faceless uh, people kind of trying to take someone away. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I just remember the film as, as, as a Jim Carrey movie. And one that I really liked, but I didn't really understand. And so I think I've watched it maybe two or three times since, at least uh, two times. I saw it 
for school, actually. Uh, we, we had to watch it for in university for one of our classes. Uh, and it was kind of about social media and stuff like that. So this was a great movie, a very prescient movie in that sense, talking about social media. So we watched this and had to do a, an essay on it. And I also watched it uh, a couple years after that with friend of the show, Harrison, uh, for one of our movie nights. Uh, we were like, you know what's a good movie? The Truman Show. Let's watch this. Uh, and uh, and we did, of course, and I loved it. And then, of course, I watched it uh, this week to prepare and holds up great. I, I, I definitely caught a lot of things that I had missed before. I was, of course, looking for a lot of little Easter eggs and stuff in this movie because there's a hugely fine attention to detail that director Peter Weir put in this. Uh, and we'll go into that more with uh, some of the Easter eggs I found. But uh, yeah, those are uh, those are my memories, Neil. That's awesome. I don't remember watching this movie back in the the early two thousands as a kid because uh, I was like I was also a very big Jim Carrey fan, but I was more watching his comedies. Mm-hmm. We we saw all of them. I would consider Jim Carrey's career from nineteen ninety four to two thousand four all of those films being like the the golden era, the worth watching ones. There's a few decent ones in the late two thousands and early twenty tens, but he definitely fell on some hard times after I would say two thousand and four. Also, really loved the Christmas movie, The Grinch, that he was in, and even I really actually really liked him in the new Sonic films from uh, what twenty eighteen and then twenty twenty two. So th- those are all pretty good as well. His psychological films, though, can, this one twenty uh, three. 23 that one that was an interesting movie i saw that one once i don't remember anything about it but uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah. being another one I, I i caught on to those the psychological one uh, jim carrey films in the i was in college i think when i first saw the truman show it might have been 2016 i believe and i loved it i thought it was it was really cool it reminded me of i had already seen uh like black mirror at this point um so it reminded me of that or like the twilight zone i thought it was really cool very well done uh and then watched it again this week in, pre- in preparing for this show, like you said. Uh, so I've maybe only seen this film two or three times, but I, I feel like I've seen it multiple times because you see clips of this film in YouTube videos or memed or whatever. So like, even though I've only seen it twice, I feel like I have been watching it for the last 25 years. It's kind of a weird, a weird thing. Uh, I can't really yeah. explain it exactly, but more so just a huge fan of, uh, of Jim Carrey, just because I've been watching his films for so long. He's He's a Toronto boy uh, from Newmarket, actually, Newmarket, Ontario. So not very far away from us at all. Been to Newmarket a bunch of times. But for those of you that don't know, I guess, if you haven't for some reason seen The Truman Show, uh, the plot of the film is uh, Truman, played by Jim Carrey, is selected at birth following an unwanted pregnancy. And he is the unsuspecting star of The Truman Show, a reality television program filmed 24-7 through thousands of hidden cameras and broadcasted worldwide. Christoph, who's played by Ed Harris, is the show's creator and executive producer, seeks to capture Truman's authentic emotions and give audience a relatable everyman. Truman has been the star of the show since he was born, and the studio officially adopted him, which is a fantastic scene. The movie is years before a lot of technology that we uh, take for granted now. Like, the mm-hmm. whole daily vlog thing uh, is is years before. This movie is years before that. Uh, even, I was looking into it, like, Windows 98 was not even out yet in real time. Most American households only had one TV, and the Motorola flip phone was only two years old. So, watching this movie, I had to kind of trick my brain or retrain my brain, because we today like we know a lot of influencers and people and even like pets that like we know everything about their lives we know everything about their day-to-day living this is a long time before all of that so having someone living that life unknowingly is such a cool concept for the 90s and i think that that idea would even hold up today it's so prescient like like i said it's Mm -hmm. so uh, ahead of its time and really predicted kind of what things are today yeah and and that's why we talked about it in class and university for 
an allegory for social media because it really is without even knowing what social media was right which is which is really incredible and for all these these viewers this is you know this is reality tv in its purest form and for uh, uh for 1998 reality tv didn't exist and it's mm-hmm. funny you see like nowadays reality tv is brought up a lot for when truman show is talked about but you you watch the ads you watch um or you read the back of the box you uh you kind of read the synopsis of, the, of of this never once is reality tv mentioned and even in the uh, even in the movie itself, reality TV isn't mentioned. So you're right, Neil. You kind of have to trick your brain to remember that mm-hmm. this is a time before social media, reality TV, uh, even the 24-hour news cycle was just kind of getting started at this point. And that was one of the basis of the Truman Show in terms of the inspiration of it was how in the 90s, uh, the, the 24-hour news cycle was kind of just first starting up. And even kind of Christoph alludes to it. Where he's like, uh, uh, it's like, yeah, our viewers uh, even leave him on at night for comfort. Like that mm. was very much a new thing in the '90s, uh, because before that, you know, TV was, you know, it's it's done. Like at like 2 a.m. or whatever, that was right. it. Uh, so it was kind of a new concept of having the TV on, playing 24 hours a day, uh, and having new content 24 hours a day. And so that's what the, the Truman Show kind of started as. Yeah, and like even now today, like you said, like people fall asleep to YouTube channels on their phone. Not necessarily maybe people living their own lives, but maybe a talk show or a channel or like music. Like people just falling asleep to influencers is something that just happens today. But like a lot of people need that comfort of of a, of a star or something. It, it's very interesting. Um, but the film itself, I just want to like going through it. it. It's so cool how they shot it and filmed it and produced it. Like yeah. the beginning, like just how it starts out. It, it's like the intro to a TV show and you have these sort of cutaways, almost like the office or uh, parks and rec or something, how the, the characters are all talking to the camera off screen about their lives and like how they're a part of this TV show program. Basically, for their entire lives and what an honor it's been. And then like when they show the credits rolling in the intro of the film, which doesn't happen anymore in movies, it's kind of cool to watch that again, but you know, starring so-and-so as so-and-so, and and it's not even, it's their actor names in the movie. And then the actor (laughs) names in the show, they never actually say Laura Lenny or anybody at Harris. They never use those names. It's their character, Kristoff as blah, blah, blah. Uh, I I love that. It's such a cool, um, it's such a cool effect that they did just to start off the film, like right off the bat, you can tell this is going to be a very well done movie. And that's the thing, too. Yeah, like, it starts off with Truman Burbank as Truman, yeah. you know? Right. Uh, I, I actually completely forgot about that when I was watching the movie again. And, and you know, you mentioned the plot and how uh, you eventually know the plot, but you don't know it until, like, over an hour in. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's quite a while in. Obviously, you you if you're seeing this movie, you probably have some semblance of what the synopsis is. Uh, but you're not given the full story until, yeah, about an hour in when uh, we actually see more of Kristoff. Because we don't see Kristoff until an hour. Uh, an hour uh, Ed Harris doesn't appear on screen other than the very, very beginning. Uh, he doesn't un- appear on screen again for another hour there. So it's kind of cool when he is interviewed by Harry Shearer, uh, who I, uh, I noticed immediately because of his voice. It's like he does all the different characters on The Simpsons. Him and Hank Azaria are the ones who do like... Mo and um, Krusty and oh, cool. and Principal Skinner and I think the Principal Skinner and uh, and Wayland Smithers uh, and Mr. Burns those voices that's all Harry Shearer so you could kind of hear it when he was interviewing him especially you could hear like the Skinner voice <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I really liked I was like oh yeah yeah there it is <laughs> but um, yeah that interview is the first time you actually kind of learn about this world 
and mm-hmm. what it is. You know it's fake. You know, like, obviously that something's going on here. But, um, yeah, I, was, I kind of found that interesting. It's like, yeah, you don't really get the plot super well until near, like, almost near the end of the movie. No, and you don't see, like, what where the uh, sinister of the movie is like how is he how is this bad and like he starts to under he starts to explain it how like he's he's happy because he's being protected and it's not fake it's just it's not scripted but it is artificial kind of thing so like it sounds positive that like you've, you've set up this utopia for this one man it, it, in theory it sounds like a great concept and like a very noble thing to do but in reality it's actually quite quite terrifying and and a prison is what they end up calling it like he's in he's in prison but like how can it be prison like he's got a great job a great house a great neighborhood a great wife and everything like he's he's happy but like it's he's not and that's like where the psychologicalness of the basically like a psychological thrillerness comes into play um because he is trapped and he can't leave and he doesn't know what's going on and no one's explaining it to him and everybody are actors but he's known them like imagine and this is the whole thing is imagine finding out that everybody all of your friends your family they're all fake like you're not related to them you don't actually know them they're all paid they're all Mm -hmm. scripted in a way like it's such a terrifying thing to think about and it's something that i think a lot of people do think about from time to time like what if this is all just a simulation or what if all this is a tv show like it's it's impossible but it's not impossible at the same time to conceive that this could be a reality for for you for me for everybody like it i obviously mike i am not a paid actor to be your best friend for the last 22 years i will say that now but i could be lying to you yeah and that's where like this plot for this movie could easily have just been a psychological thriller like it's very much a black mirror twilight zone kind of movie but what 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 struck me was that this is a psychological comedy and i was trying to think like i can't think of any other psychological comedy movies like, I was really racking my brain. I was thinking, like, maybe Inside, like, Bo Burnham's Inside, but that's I maybe not because it's not like a movie. It's more no, like yeah. a comedy show. Um, there are dark comedies, and then there are psychological thrillers. Those, those two uh, categories, genres, are very popular and very common. Um, but trying to think of other psychological comedies, I couldn't, I couldn't think of any. Could you? No, not really. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a good thing to think about. Maybe... Maybe in a way, the relatively recent movie Free Guy would be the closest yeah, thing I can oh. think to that. But it's very it's very similar to this one. It is very similar. Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely a, a take on the Truman Show in a sense. But good good one. Yeah, thank you. But I, I feel like it's less psychological than the Truman Show. Yeah, um, it's definitely got less sinister overtones or undertones, I guess. Uh, where mm-hmm. Free Guy's more of a fun movie, but there are still some psychological elements to it. And you mentioned, of course, the that you are uh, we are all part of a simulation, and you are a paid <laughs> actor. Well, right. uh, this movie, obviously being so popular, and people thinking about this, uh, the Truman Show delusion exists. Neil, that is a thing. Yeah, I know. I lo- I, I saw videos of that uh, while researching for the for the show of people freaking out because they think that they're in they're in a a set or they're in a movie or the yeah. people that are people are stalking them like people are not real it's it's an interesting concept did that did that only start existing after this film i mean the concept had already uh always existed but uh, i think that it kind of got a name with the truman show it's uh started with a uh, joel gold who's a psychiatrist at bellevue uh in 2008 he he said he met five patients with schizophrenia uh, and had heard of many many more who believed their lives were reality tv shows and he named the syndrome the Truman Show delusion after the film and uh, and kind of has attributed the, the delusion to a world 
uh, that we live in, and this is 2008, but a world that has become hungry for publicity, which is certainly way more than it is even in 2008. And uh, it's funny, after hearing of this condition, uh, Andrew Nichol, who was uh, the writer for The Truman Show, <laughs> he said, you know you've made it when you have a disease named after you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I can totally see this movie sparking those types of delusions or concerns in people like it's it could totally it I, I can totally see it like especially nowadays with cameras being everywhere and nothing feeling real like everybody feeling so fake especially on social media and just doing things for attention and everything it's it, yeah like it, it it completely makes sense but a few things about the movie that I do want to give a shout out to that really stood out to me first thing I got to give a big shout out to is uh Truman's Ford Taurus wagon I adored <laughs> that car mostly because it's, it's a special car for me because that was our family car for gosh, uh, 15 years, we had a Ford Taurus wagon. So as soon as I saw that car, I was like, yep, that's, that's our car, just the, uh, the <laughs> sedan version. And yep. there's a, a great shot or scene where the, uh, the radio announcer or the radio broadcasters are talking and they, they just show a shot of the, um, the radio, uh, not dashboard, but the radio control panel. And instantly I was like, I have not thought about that control because we had the exact same one. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, dude, I haven't thought of that. That's where I put my eight, my auxiliary tape in and that those, that's the radio dial. That's all the buttons that we never used. That was such a trip. I loved seeing that again. And apparently I heard that this is a true thing about the movie is if you look closely, the car actually changes model type three times. Oh, yeah, they used three that. different cars for the movie. For I don't know why. Maybe they crashed them or something, but the, <laughs> yeah. the car actually changes throughout the film. I don't think that was supposed to be like an Easter egg. I think that's probably yeah. just something to do with the production of the film itself. But absolutely love the the Ford Taurus that uh, that Truman drives. And of course, the the big standout for the film, like you already mentioned, and for a lot of people, I'm sure, are all of the uh, the fake product placement moments in the film. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And of course, the, the, the show, how the Truman Show makes its money is uh, there are no ads. It's running 24-7. So it's got product placements uh, throughout it and and very obvious ones. Like, of course, the twins who are always pushing him into uh, the billboard that's uh, that's outside yes. of his building every, every morning. It changes every time. Uh, even his wife during a big fight. Uh, you know, pulls out the cocoa beans and the cocoa powder uh, for making some hot chocolate and, and has to deliver the lines and is basically crying while she does it. Uh, th that's a whole other thing, too, for product placement. Like, that's something that's become way more uh, prevalent in today's movies and, and, and TV shows than it ever was before. So another prescient element of uh, The Truman Show. And even something as small as his uh, his best friend, he's always drinking beer. And if you notice, he's always drinking it with the label sticking out. Yep. And he even yeah. moves it one time, too, to yeah. make sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a small like small detail. I love his friend in the movie. He's so funny. He's always carrying a six-pack and he's yeah. always drinking it. I love when he, has to, when he sends him when uh, Truman kind of goes missing and and, uh, and Christoph sends him to go see him. And he yeah. kind of is in a rush, but he's got the six-pack. He's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> he's trying to be... Surprise party. Yeah, as loose as possible. But of course... Yes, Truman does eventually kind of start realizing the truth. Uh, the movie actually starts very early on with a, a, a camera light uh, or a, I guess, a set light uh, mm -hmm. falling from the sky. And uh, and Truman kind of has to examine it and look at it for a while and then uh, kind of goes on with his day. And then the radio, of course, says that it, it fell from a, an airplane or something. But mm -hmm. that was a that was a kind of a fun thing to just start off the movie where you're like, huh, 
this is going to be interesting. Like this yeah. is this is a little different. Uh, and then and then there's there's more and more things that he discovers. Uh, of course, one of the biggest ones he discovers is um, is when the radio station ends up being the frequency for the extras. Uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to know where he is at all times. Uh, there's also when he goes into a different building and sees the uh, the food uh, behind the elevator, and then yeah. they kick him out that way. Uh, there's also a lot of deleted scenes in this movie that they didn't put in. Of course, it is quite a short runtime, so I think they cut a lot of stuff. And the stuff was mostly just uh, more ways he was finding out about the world. Uh, and like there is a scene where he goes back and kind of examines the, uh, the set light that fell down. And Marlon's mm-hmm. there, like I don't know, this happens. He just want a beer, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it's it's kind of cool to see him realizing, and and you're really captivated by it. Like I I couldn't look away really during this movie, even though I'd seen it a couple times before. I was like, yeah, I, I want to know what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the seams of his reality breaking down happened pretty early on in the movie, which was great. I'm a huge fan of movies that are. 90 minutes to uh, an hour and 45 or so. So, But if this movie was made today, you could definitely tell that 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 stage light, which is kind of the first domino to fall, that would have happened maybe 45 minutes to an hour into the movie. Like, we would have seen a full day in his life or something. We would have seen conversations. We would have incorporated all the characters before anything bad started happening. So it was nice that it happened at that quick pace. And then, yeah, like, the, the first big... Domino to fall was when uh, the the um, the radio uh, started to like clip out and would uh, was narrating what was happening to him like someone was watching him and that was actually probably one of the scarier parts of the film was when like he started to uh, move away from his regular routine because of that radio um, mm-hmm. the frequency that that went off and then like he went off off of his basically off of his routine and then he started to see behind the curtain so to speak that'd be quite terrifying actually like if you go look into a room that you've never been in before and it's just people. With screens watching you, yeah, that would be that would be bloody terrifying. <laughs> well, and even like the music too in this mm-hmm. actually does it a great service because obviously we talked about how there is the the drama and the comedy side of it, and the music changes super drastically. I don't know if you noticed this, Neil. Yeah, but uh, the whenever he's doing the you know the good morning, you know good morning, and 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 doing his daily routine, the music is mm-hmm. super upbeat, super a- a generic too. You can tell that the um the, the composer was trying to keep it like. What's the most generic '80s, '90s kind of upbeat montage music I can make, and made it, and uh, and then the dark scenes, uh, and when he's kind of realizing his reality, are are these really interestingly crafted pieces? Because even mm-hmm. like the the sad scenes, quote unquote, uh, when he loses his dad, uh, and they show that flashback, like the flashback <laughs> scenes, any of like the 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 crafted sad scenes. The composer uses an even different music for that, which is super mm-hmm. sappy and very much like soap opera kind of style, like sad. I'm saying the composer. It's it's Philip Glass, who's a, a world-renowned composer uh, who did the music to this. And I think uh, he also had some help from uh, someone else. I forget who, but uh, it's just amazing, amazing music that is a huge part of this film. And I think w- what makes it so captivating to watch is the changes in mood with the music. Yeah, and like when he's starting to figure out if the, if he's starting like he's onto them like it would play that one violin string like a like yeah. a psychological movie does it's so good yeah the music is terrific and a lot of it is supposed to be the music that goes along with the show like whenever mm-hmm. you whenever you hear the happy go lucky music you know he's he's on his way to work he's he's getting ready for he's getting ready for work he's hanging out with his wife like that's all the music that's playing with the show but then when he's starting to like think huh something's wrong here like that's the music for for you the audience um it's really cool how they switch back and forth between the show music which is kind of like classic 80s sitcom music and yep. then uh, uh 
2000s X-Files, uh, Twilight Zone type of uh, sp- suspenseful music. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite scene of the movie, though, uh, one, like very short, but one of my favorite scenes has to be when he goes to the travel agency because he finally wants to leave <laughs> yeah. town. He hasn't traveled in his entire life. I'm assuming he's supposed to be around th- mid-30s, I think, is the idea. That's yeah. Jim Carrey's actual age in real life. Never left this town in his entire life. The His entire life is based around... Uh, propaganda basically on how dangerous travel is and how perfect yeah. things are where you where you are, which I think is so funny because um, I know people that don't travel or have never left their hometown. So it, it's funny to watch it on screen. But he goes into this travel agency and like you just see like all of these signs about like how dangerous travel is. And like there's it a sign. There's, <laughs> there's a picture of the plane getting hit by lightning that says it could happen to you. I love that part. It's so good. And like the travel agent is like, oh, no, we're booked for months like to Fiji, yeah. which is where he wants to go. And he tries to get on the bus to go to Chicago, I think it was. And like the bus driver just like destroys the bus engine. <laughs> he basically like cuts the burr. He, he's on the brake and the gas at the same time until the engine gives out. It's such a funny scene when like, but it's also scary in a way because like he can't leave. Like that's the part when you figure out that he's actually trapped, even though he's terrified of travel because he's been conditioned to be, he's scared of the water because his dad quote unquote drowned when he was eight years old. So he's terrified to leave this town, and when he actually tries, no one lets him. And that that's a fear that I'm sure a lot of people out there share is, like, when you're actually trying to be brave and overcome your fear and move on or, or better yourself, everyone around you are trying to bring you down. Like, that's the worst situation you could possibly be in. Yeah, it's it's a scary situation for sure. Mm-hmm. And, like, you – Jim Carrey does a great job of, of emoting that as oh well. Like, yeah. even when he is uh, – is has the scenes with his wife, I think those are probably his best acting scenes in the movie is when he – He's kind of has to has to do these scenes with his wife who has to be in character, you know, but is also scared for her life because she has no idea what Truman's going to do. Right. Uh, Because obviously everything that she does all day is is scripted to the T, you know, like she knows exactly where he's going to be, exactly what all the extras going to do. Her whole life is is scripted to the T, but with Truman now kind of starting to unravel this mystery and understand what's going on, uh, it's getting a little scary for her and she doesn't really know what's happening i think of the scene where he's in the car and he's holding her hand uh and she's like oh my god like she has to even though she's trying to persuade truman not to go over the bridge and go over the water because he's scared of it and you know just go back to reality or her reality and his reality in this sense Mm -hmm. uh he he just holds her hand and makes her drive so she kind of has to drive and she's freaking out but also trying to be in character at the same time very (laughs) tough thing for an actor to do and uh, and then obviously Jim Carrey just being amazing in those scenes and the one part of that scene when he does kind of somewhat leave the island uh, and and gets to the nuclear power plant because they you know they gotta stop him somehow so there's a a leak of the plant for whatever reason <laughs> and somehow they get all these extras out there and when the guy uh, or when they say thank you uh, when the guy's telling them why they can't pass he says no problem Truman. Uh, yeah. That that always gives me chills. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Because the music is great there too. It's like the, the complete reveal. Everything is makes sense for Truman now. He knows what's happening, and uh, he does get subdued, of course. But yeah, that's a that's such a cool scene. Yeah, like, it, and it's again ties into that 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 horror element of like, like yeah. for you, like I would be terrified if I went to a place that I'd never been before, talking to a person I'd never seen, and then they instantly call you by name. Like that that's like something in a dream where you wake up from a nightmare because something just slightly wrong happens, but it freaks you out because yeah, yeah like it, it's such a that was such a cool moment. And then yeah, he books it 
try, and then he gets captured by the people in the hazmat suits, like you mentioned with E.T., reminding you of that as a kid, and then they get sent back home. And, and this is the point where he figures out that he needs to leave, and he's sort of trying to f- figure that out internally uh, while also trying to maintain this this character that he's developed unknowingly for the last 30-plus years. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads to his uh, his eventual uh, escape and whatnot. And, and yeah, like, he, he threatens his wife. Uh, like, he holds her at knife point, and, you know, she yells out to do something. And, and, like, that's really when I think it, again, like, the other final nail in the coffin when he figures out that he needs to needs to get out. Just a just an incredible actor that, uh, like I said before, like, we had only seen him in Ace Ventura and The Mask and Dumb and Dumber, and then he does this. He, he was really made for this role as as Truman like I love his his ability to like obviously Jim Carrey he's a character actor like he's he's fantastic just his ability to kind of put on this happy-go-lucky face and you know he smiles with his like just his upper teeth like you only ever see like his two his upper layer you never see his lower teeth whenever he smiles it's such a cute endearing smile (laughs) and then he'll switch instantly to the worried sad face Jim Carrey like it's such a switch that he can do it's so endearing like he was he was made for this role 100 percent and What's incredibly sad, and we can talk about it now, is that this movie was up for several awards for a lot of the uh, a lot of the actors and the, and the director and everything. But in the 1999 Oscars, no Jim Carrey nomination. Yeah, absolutely crazy. He got a uh, a Golden Globe uh, Best Actor. Actually, he won it. Not only did he get a nomination, he won Best Actor at the Golden Good. Globes for this movie, uh, as he should. Uh, Golden Globes, of course, has two different categories. They have comedy, musical, and they also have drama. Uh, so he was in the comedy musical section, one best actor for that, and somehow doesn't get a nomination at the Oscars. Like, what a that what a rip there! I, I think that's definitely them kind of putting their nose down at him, uh, seeing him as a, just a, a comedian, like just a a comic flailing actor rather than an actual uh, mm-hmm. uh, amazing dramatic actor that he was. And you said it for sure. He threads the needle with his performance uh, in yeah. terms of how to actually go between these characters. He, you know, he's really playing a bunch of different personalities almost. Uh, and and that's something that I don't think any actor at that time could have done other than Jim, Jim Carrey. Definitely made for him. And then another role that was definitely made for someone, Ed Harris. Got to yeah. give him some shout outs here. Uh, of course, at this point in the movie, uh, Ed Harris is now doing the interview. So right after uh, uh, Truman gets captured, cuts to black that's actually one of the only times in the movie that we cut to black by the way uh but it does cut to black and we see uh the kind of inner mechanisms of what's going on we do the interview with uh, ed harris's character we learn about the plot and everything and and ed harris who did get nominated for best supporting actor uh at uh, the oscars and won best supporting actor at the golden globes uh he is really interesting in this in terms of his portrayal because obviously he's a terrific actor but it's a very thin line just like Jim Carrey's Truman a uh, very thin line to tread because he's playing someone with this archetype of of a, an insane supervillain mm-hmm. right but he's not actually insane he's actually honestly arguably a genius who has convinced everyone that this is okay to kind of parade Truman out like this and and make millions and millions of dollars from it and, and every move he makes is super timed and well thought out uh, but his motives are basically that of a supervillain. Yeah. And I think most actors probably would have made this a very kind of cartoonish uh, style portrayal, you know, mm-hmm. where it's uh, where all the emotions are amped up to 20. Uh, but instead, Ed really threads the needle and does a beautiful job of 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 uh, being able to relate to him and what he's doing, but also kind of seeing him as this super sick and like deluded man who mm-hmm. is kind of 
has this has been his life and this is all he's done for 30 plus years at this point you can tell that he's a person who probably had a very traumatic experience in real life and he's trying to protect whoever he can from the real world like you can see that he yeah. probably had a very traumatic experience as a kid or or with a marriage or with with parents or something and this is his escape he's basically become obsessed with creating a utopia even if it's only for for one person it, it's the best that he can do and he becomes this god character but he he, he becomes an evil person without even really knowing it. His intentions are so good. It almost reminds me of the argument recently that, you know, people have with Thanos where it's like, I can kind of see his point. <laughs> like, you know, like, like you can kind of see how somebody, everybody wants everyone to be healthy, happy, and, you know, wealthy and well-fed and well taken care of and live in a nice place. So you can totally see his intentions. But uh, w- when you start to make things too artificial and too staged it actually starts to to, there's a diminishing returns i guess is the is the message there and and even though he is like this god character who's created this this literal dome around this one person to give him the perfect life and also profit off of it obviously they're making they're making money on it and it's a tv show um it it does eventually start to wear yeah everything's for sale (laughs) it's it starts to wear on truman's psyche and that's something that we were talking about while watching this movie is that you know, you really put all your eggs in one basket with with casting this baby when he could have grown up to be a psychotic, lunatic, murderer, yeah. you know, <laughs> a, abusive, crazy person. Like he could have gone on a shooting spree or something and then look at what you've done, right? Like you didn't know that it was going to turn out to be this perfect, you know, life. It could have actually been quite horrible. And luckily yeah. it, it didn't or anything. Um, but still, it's it's one of the things that you have to think about when, you know, in, in reality, how this movie was made. And uh, I, I was, you know, while watching it trying to figure out like what are some plot holes in this idea or what are some plot holes in this film and the only oh, thing plots. that really we could uh, we could think about or the, one of the main ones for me at least was uh how did they get him through elementary school that, that <laughs> was mean... the thing that was the thing that we were talking about like they must have hired the greatest child actors of all time yeah that i, I was thinking <laughs> that too his whole childhood is basically the entire yeah. plot hole it's yeah. like how does how does that work right um and and how do you spend how do you really keep him from not uh, learning about uh, more about the outside world and his like 35 years there. Uh, there's how did he get a job? You know, like know. how does he stay in that job? Why doesn't he just quit and go somewhere like the, uh, clearly there's this, we were kind of, uh, we suspend disbelief for a second and we were like, okay, he probably doesn't actually have too much agency no. uh, because of how he was raised and everything. So we can, we can let it go, but it, it certainly doesn't take away from the movie at all. Like, I think you, you go into this being like, okay, it's science fiction. And I think they do a pretty good job of establishing that as well, but also showing it as a pretty real and realistic scenario. Like, I also love the scenes. Uh, really, all the car scenes are, are amazing, in my opinion. And yeah. I, I love when he's trying to leave and all the cars come up uh, and, and stop him from leaving, like massive traffic. And then he goes around again. No, all the cars are gone. Uh, it's just, it's a cool, uh, it's just, there's so many cool images in this and so many cool angles. And I'd like to talk about that for a second is the cinematography in this movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. This movie is, is shot perfectly. And as Christoph says, there's over 5,000 cameras uh, in the world uh, that Truman lives in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smallest camera ever made, I think that they mentioned uh, is in the, uh, is on the studio. So yeah, let's uh, talk about how this film is shot. Well, for one, there's so many weird angles in this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that, but a lot of unconventional angles in terms of how Truman is shot. Uh, a lot of times we see him from uh, crane shots, as, as Christoph alludes to a lot, where it's like, you need a crane shot, crane shot. <laughs> uh, and, and you notice him whenever he's kind of walking to work, 
the the cameras are on the light poles. And so there are these really interesting ways to get these angles that you would never, ever see in a normal movie because it's all about the surveillance. But it's not the far away surveillance kind of shots that we're used to when we see movies that involve surveillance. These are like these almost close up surveillance reality TV shots, really, is what it is, but still trying to be hidden. And um, and it's interesting because I was I was obviously reading and doing some research about this. And uh, Peter Weir, the director, was saying that he he tried really hard to actually not hide the cameras super well, uh, especially the small ones uh, that were used to capture certain scenes, like the real cameras in uh, in the um, in the production were, were are can be seen sometimes on set. And that's on purpose because he wanted to see if the audience would actually be able to see those cameras. Uh, and there's a couple there that uh, that I completely miss. There's whenever he's talking, he's talking to his neighbor. His neighbor has that garbage can. Well, there's a camera in the garbage can, <laughs> and and you see it. Uh, I I had to look on YouTube. I saw it. Uh, you can see where that camera is. It's in the middle of the garbage can, but you don't really notice. And so there's wow. a, a whole bunch of little things like that. There is a camera in the four Taurus as well that is visible uh, that you can see, uh, and that's a really cool thing with the driving shots, like I was talking about earlier, where. Uh, almost all movies, when you see driving scenes, where's the camera? It's uh, it's always, or a lot of times, uh, on the, the hood, most of the time. Uh, that's kind of how uh, Hollywood does uh, driving scenes. Well, in this movie, it can't be on the dash, it can't be on the hood, uh, so it has to be in the radio a lot mm-hmm. of times. So you see that shot where you can see the radio, you can see the seat, like the transparency, and you can see Truman, uh, and you also see shots from the, the side. So there's shots from the mirrors uh, as well, the side mirrors. Uh, a lot of really interesting and different shots, and it makes it really cool when he's driving, especially because I don't think I'd ever seen stuff like that before. No, and they even have camera, like body cameras, on in some of the scenes too, yep. where it's supposed to look like what he, what the person he's talking to can see. So the people, the actors are wearing cameras as well, and and sometimes like it'll almost be like a a spy camera where like it'll show him, and then it kind of quick zooms in on him, but it's yep. like not super high definition like a film camera is and like at night when he's uh hanging out with his friend at night or whatever they would switch over to night vision cameras sometimes too i think like they, yeah. there was a lot of like that kind of real tv the reality tv like you said before effect in the film which was really cool how it was it was like a movie movie and then it was also like a a studio film as well like that yep. that switching back and forth was really cool uh yeah I, I love it um the whole movie from start to finish is is just fantastic from the script to the acting to the editing to the music uh it's all it's all really good uh i did want to ask a couple of fun questions though before we start to uh to close out the episode um mike if your whole life up to this point was a tv show would you want to know ooh I feel like I need to. I need to know. Yeah, I, I, I would. I might just keep acting in it. We'll see. But I feel like I would want to know. Uh, if, if you could tell me, Neil, right now. Well, well, you, you travel so much that it would be hard to like make you believe because that would mean that I have to have convinced people in Europe and Korea and America and all the places that you've been. Uh, it'd be really hard to to convince you. But uh, I mean, I would be blown away if uh, if i had found out that i was in a tv show but yeah i would also i would want to know i would want to i would still probably call my parents mom and dad but i would still want to meet my original parents if i could i know that truman was orphaned uh mm-hmm. that was something about the movie too that was really funny was his mom uh she was just like a, a terrible actress but that was kind of like the 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 shtick yeah. of sitcoms back in the day how like the tv mom was always like over dramatic and terrible uh yeah. <laughs> i love the scene of his one-on-one conversation with his mom like 
I never blamed you. <laughs> yeah, I know. And she like looks at the camera even sometimes yeah. too. Like it, it's yeah, it, very much that like soap opera style acting that that gets involved there. Because yeah. that that part is definitely the soap opera kind of that some people yeah. are looking for. And you know, it's the idea is that's supposed to span all the genres. You see all the different people mm-hmm. uh, watching it from all different walks of life. There's of course the Truman Bar. Uh, that they have. There's yeah. even um, uh, I I completely forgot that he's in this uh, Hitchcock from uh, uh, from Brooklyn Nine Nine. He's one of the the I think he's actually a, a security guard or officer. Uh, who's yeah, the guy's watching, watching it. it in like a parking garage or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a funny cutaway. <laughs> I love I love the cutaways to when they're like in the bar. The guy watching in his bathtub. Uh, the two grandmas like knitting. They're like knitting Truman merch while they're watching it and stuff. They're knitting it, Truman merch and they are wearing Truman merch as well. Yeah, I I, I I didn't know this, but they are wearing Meryl's uh shirt or her her blouse or whatever. Mm. Uh, because uh, as we know, everything is for sale on set, right. and we actually see a lot of different oh, yeah. uh, characters in the back background uh, at the bar or other places that are actually wearing those uh, those clothes yeah that's so cool and i even like the the staff when you cut to like the producers and everybody in their studio like they have shirts that say love him protect him on their yeah. shirts like it's like a, it's like a cult it's yes. a really funny thing like when you start to dissect the world that's been built around the show there's even the other side of it that we see just a little bit from uh sylvia who is of course his uh his love that he, he like, kind of falls in love with, who they mm-hmm. take away, and uh, the the fake father says that we're moving to Fiji, which is why <laughs> uh, uh, spurs his obsession with Fiji. Yeah. And uh, and we see her apartment a couple times, and all the stuff that's on her wall. And there's like a Truman rally, mm-hmm. a free Truman rally this Saturday, and and stuff like that. And there's all these, uh, you know, the we see the kind of the counter. Uh, revolution side of it almost, which was really cool to see. I like that. I love when we see both sides for a little bit. All three sides. You see the production, the fans, yes. and then the people who are against it. And then they even show uh, clips over the years of people who have tried to, like, photobomb the show. Like, they tried to yeah, on it. By, that was great. That was awesome. Like, the people that <laughs> skydive in or, like, they gift wrap themselves at Christmas. Like, not to try and protest, but just to try and get on this TV show. Yeah. I thought it was, it was really, really funny. Um, <laughs> but, Mike, second question here. If you were a random character in someone else's show, who do you think you would be? Ooh, good I question. have an idea. Of, I have an idea. I think you and I would both be the the radio hosts. Obviously, ah, damn it, I was gonna say that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I actually said I was. I was gonna say I would love to just be a radio host and like basically talk to the person, mm-hmm. uh, which he kind of does. Uh, yep. What Truman doesn't realize that he is literally talking to him. Yeah. Uh, but and Truman responds as if he's talking to everyone. But uh, yeah, I think radio host is something I would love to be for that. Uh, even the guy like for doing the paper every day, you know, giving giving oh, Truman yeah. the paper. Uh, I feel like that. I feel like you're only there for like an hour, and so like that's a pretty easy job, and you do something right. else on set. Well, that that's what you think, but then like when he finally broke his uh, his routine and started to go off script and go to other places, you could see the panic in the actors because they yes. were like, you know, looking at their watch, like I'm supposed to be on break now, and like he went to the <laughs> hospital, and the doctor, not a real doctor, like cut into a yeah. woman's knee to to keep up the facade. So there is that level, but I I would agree, I would definitely want to be somebody who has a very minor role in the show, like the the magazine sales or the radio hosts who can kind of just come and go quickly. I would definitely not want to be his wife or his best friend or a parent or something who has to be in his daily life. That would just be way too consuming. Yeah. (laughs) And Mike, finally, if this were a real thing and there were actually a TV show of somebody trapped in a dome and uh, we were controlling their entire lives, would you be on the side of helping the main character escape their world, keep them locked in, or just watch to see what happens? Mm, The Sylvia Kristoff side. Right. Which one? Um, Mm -hmm. Good question. I feel like I would be a passive observer for the most part, and I'd see where where the rest of society ebbs and flows for that. 
uh, I think is what I would do. I don't know because I don't know. I don't know this guy. I I, I watch I watch them all the time, but I don't truly know them. Uh, maybe they would like to stay there forever. Who knows? Uh, and or maybe yeah, we should uh, let them go free. So I'll let. Other people protest that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be somewhere in the middle of watching to see what happens and also protesting. Like, I wouldn't be protesting with signs and stuff, but I would definitely be asking <laughs> yeah. real questions. Like, yes. okay, he's he's over 16 now. Is he still owned by a corporation legally? Mm. Like, where where does the legality of this end and begin? I need to know. I would just be asking a lot of questions, but I wouldn't be protesting, I think, is where I would fall. I agree, yes. I, yeah. I, I definitely ask a lot of questions like that because that is a good one. Yeah, what's the what's the legality of this? Right, That that's really what I was thinking. It's like, so you, you're the first corporation to legally own a human. That's correct. And then it's like genius. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you, a, you, you, you officially adopted a baby, but like eventually people have people have legal, legal ownership of themselves. I don't know where that, again, if this were like a common, or if this were a modern movie, uh, we would definitely see more of like a, a courtroom or something going on. And there'd be like a third and fifth uh, storyline going on that we would be seeing. But anyway, Mike, I think that it's time that we we talk about the ending of this film before we close out. Very iconic ending of the movie mm-hmm. where Truman finally overcomes his fear of the water. He's going out to see where this ocean leads, if he can if he can escape this hell that he's in. And uh, he eventually hits the wall. He hits the, uh, the, the outer edge of the ocean. Yeah. Uh, very emotional scene. He's talking to Kristoff through the intercom, almost like a god, kind of very biblical, I think, that this scene is supposed to be. But I'm not a religious person, so I can't tell. Um, but a very neat way to end the film. How did the ending strike you when you watched it this week? Oh, I loved it. It's still so good. Uh, the I remember when I f- saw it, as a kid, I don't really remember the ending that well, but I do remember seeing it uh, in university, watching it, and when when the ship hits the wall, when his boat hits the wall, that's such a, uh, a poignant uh, scene, because that's when he truly understands what this world is, and that's like the, the final, final piece where it's like, oh, it, it, uh, it is all fake. It is literally, I'm seeing the fake clouds right here that is completely just showing me uh, how fake my world is, and it, it's... It's it's one thing to realize it when you're uh, seeing the extras and stuff. It's another thing to actually see a painted on wall, and then you're like, "Wait, am I in a dome?" Because you know, for him, he doesn't know he's in a dome or right. anything, right? He doesn't know that it's uh, he's actually trapped here in his mind and probably mine as well. He probably thinks that he's just trapped in a small community that uh, is somewhere in the world, uh, but he can get out of at some point. But he sees this wall, and it's like, "Oh, what do I, what do I do now? Like, well, where do I go from here?" And it's it's. It's such a it's really nicely painted too so it, it has such a beautiful <laughs> contrast with with Truman and then of course there are stairs those beautiful stairs that are just uh, uh sitting right there that uh, is what our episode um our episode thumbnail is actually is that's what yeah. I used I used Jim Carrey going up the the stairs and uh yeah Christoph talks to him tries to uh to make him change his mind you know so tells him that he can't leave like this is his home this is his reality there's nothing else mm-hmm. better for him out there uh and Truman has his great line, uh, which is, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And then he and, and then he bows, <laughs> takes a bow, and then he walks into that that dark room. And you don't, you're not supposed to know. It, it's a very ambiguous ending. You're not supposed to know where that room or tunnel or door leads. You don't yep. know if it, it could be off a cliff or something. It could be into. <laughs> it could. I don't know. Like you don't know what it's supposed to be. It could fall into the ocean. Um, but that's the whole thing. Is there's this dark unknown that he's finally going into, and he he leaves, and uh, who knows where his life leads after that? You're supposed to assume that he finds. 
uh, his uh, his love interest who he lost in college or high school. I don't know how old they're supposed to be in that school. It's it's <laughs> yeah. kind of hard to tell. Um, no de aging. <laughs> no no de aging back then. It's funny. It's like, are we supposed to believe that they're in high school? Right? Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a very symbolic uh, ending of him. You know, going out to sea, fighting against a storm, surviving somehow against drowning, and then walking basically looking like he's walking on water. So very much, a, a, I'm assuming an allegory to Christianity or something out there. Someone tell me what it's an allegory to. <laughs> I have never read the Bible. Um, but yeah, I, I love that scene. It's not a funny scene at all. It's it's him coming to terms with that he has to go out there and leave this world if he wants to really be happy and really be free. He's He's got to do the ultimate thing and that's take this massive leap into through this doorway and uh and and like you said before like he how did he how did he get a job does he have world skills like who knows yeah like does he have any idea that was another thing that i was thinking of during this film was like has has everything that he's ever consumed been monitored and censored like does he know anything about sports or video games or movies music tv shows or is everything that he ever consumed all just either sponsored or public domain things um, it'd be really interesting to know because it must be so heavily censored in that, in that life that he's lived. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so happy that this is just a standalone film. There were no sequels. There's no remakes or anything. I never want this movie to be remade. It's a perfect film yeah. from the nineties. And, uh, obviously uh, we've talked a lot about it this last hour. We obviously highly recommend folks out there watch it. If you haven't watched it already, we've spoiled most of this film for you already. But <laughs> even, even though you know how the movie ends and that he's, it, there's no twist ending or anything, you know, the plot of the film, it's a TV show. It's still a very fun movie to watch knowing how it ends. Exactly. It really is. It's, um, you, you, you can probably figure out even halfway through beginning the movie that, that he will escape this somehow, but the way that it's, it's done and the way that, you know, you, you think that he might actually die out there too, when Kristoff is making the waves go super high and the the massive storm, like it gets pretty intense and there's, there's definitely some uh, chaotic moments there and, and a big climax. So it's, it's definitely worth watching. It's, it's an amazing movie. It's, uh, very, very short, you know, it's only a hundred and, and so minutes mm-hmm. and, and it does everything beautifully. But with that, Neil, are there any cons to this movie? Are there, is there anything that you would like to change? Not even necessarily bad things, but things that you would like to maybe add to this movie to improve it even more. Oh my gosh. Add to it. Uh, man. I mean, like I, I mentioned the plot holes before about like how I would have loved to have seen like maybe more uh, close calls with him, mm-hmm. uh, maybe finding out that it might be fake because it feels like, you know, there were a few like huh, moments when he was a kid and then nothing throughout his entire yeah. high school or twenties or thirties. Like it was all very by the book and everything went swimmingly. So maybe they could have added a few extra scenes like that. But like you said, there were deleted scenes already. Um, I, I, I really don't know how I would improve this film at all, honestly. Uh, how about you? Did you uh, do you have anything about this movie you would like to improve? Yeah, th- there's there's just a couple of, I think, really small things that I'd like to improve or add. Uh, the ending, of course, yeah, love it. Uh, it would be nice if it just ended with everyone clapping or, or like, like people watching, clapping, and then, you know, that shot that you see of uh, on the teleprompter of uh, the doorway open and the stairs and just kind of zoom in and just end it right there. They kind of like hang around for a little while like a, like a 30 seconds or a minute later mm. and then there's the two security guys saying oh what else is on and they change it oh, which yeah. is cool I, I get that but but for me i like just like kind of the ending the quick ending like that um the one thing that i would like to uh would have wanted to do is there's a bunch of these background characters sometimes they are good and they have these good one-liners and stuff but sometimes they kind of don't really add anything to the movie uh i find especially in the control room 
Uh, I found there was a lot of people, a, a lot of stuff going on there that sometimes took away from Kristoff's presence. Uh, I, I'd almost rather like to see it like a play style in, in the control room. Uh, I think the contrast would be really cool, right? You go from Truman's World, which is literally the largest set in the world, mm-hmm. uh, and then that has 5,000 ca- cameras, and then you go to the control room, where it can be acted out as almost like a play with just one camera, uh, and and maybe just Kristoff and his assistant or something there. That's kind of the only thing I would I would like to to have seen uh, to show a bit more of a contrast into like real life. You think having like too many people in that uh, room with all the TVs and stuff was a bit much? You'd rather have it like a bit smaller then? Yeah, or? a bit smaller and less cameras, less angles, and like kind of just like have your one area because I felt like. I felt like the idea that the director was trying to make with that was the contrast where it's like, here's like your real life here. And this is the business of it. Uh, and then obviously there's Truman and here's like the, the, the fabricated reality. Right. Uh, it would be nice to see it maybe a little more condensed if you know what I mean. I, I know what you mean. I, I liked, I liked the cutaway scenes to their control room only because it showed how uh, mundane this job was to some people yes. like Paul like Giamatti that. is so good. Like when you'd see him like eating pizza, he was reading the classifieds. Yeah. He, he was looking at, <laughs> That's right. he was looking at job postings while he was working like a midnight shift, watching uh, Truman on camera. That was another weird thing. It's like, you got this multi-billion dollar dome TV series going for 35 years and you've got two people watching him at all times. That seems a little bit suspect. Yeah. Um, but like you see, like there's a basketball net in this office and they've got like all these, like, like, you, like I said, there's some people underdressed for work, some people wearing this love him, protect him shirt. So uh, you would have missed out on that, I think, if you had condensed those scenes too much. But I can see what you're saying, how it would have been nicer to have seen more of a contrast between this overlord corporation being very small and very condensed and then Truman's set production being so big on the ground. Yeah, um, That would have been interesting. Cool, cool concept. Um, but uh, I, I love this movie as it is. If you changed any part of it, I feel like it might unwind how much I love it. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But Mike, with that, I think that it's time that we hit the back of the case of the Truman show and then move on to our closing thoughts. What do you think? Let's do it, Neil. All right. But first Victor hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. All eyes are on Burbank. Truman Burbank, that is. And you'll want to join the masses in taking a fresh new look at this marvel of a movie. From director Peter Weir, Truman is about to discover just how abnormal his seemingly normal life is. What he doesn't realize just yet is that his whole life is a reality TV show, televised and broadcasted for the whole world to see. The creative genius of Jim Carrey will amaze and thrill you in this groundbreaking film that also features Ed Harris, Laura Linney, Noah Emmerich, Holland Taylor, and Peter Krauss. So I would like to say that this back of the case that you're reading, great back of the case, by the way, of course, it's got uh, all the little pictures and uh, and images from the movie. We got Jim Carrey laughing there. We have him and his friend. We have the uh, the the dog, uh, the Dalmatian trying to bite him. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have him and Sylvia. And then, of course, we have Ed Harris basically petting him. Uh, the screen, the big screen of, uh, of of Truman sleeping, which is great. But it did say reality TV show there. And I, I wanted to point that out because I just made the whole point earlier in the episode how they don't say reality TV anywhere. This is because this is uh, a, a newer, this is a DVD copy. Uh, right. So it's uh, because it also says Jim Carrey from Series of Unfortunate Events, which came out in 2003. So uh, reality TV did exist 
at this point. Now uh, Truman Show has created it, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that that's true. I mean, I guess that it, it could have sparked that. But when I think reality TV, I don't think like the whole joke is it's not really reality. Like it shows yes. like The Bachelor and 90 Day Fiance and, and all those shows. Yeah. Uh, the only real reality TV shows that I could possibly think of are anything that has to do with like pranking people because those are honest reactions. Those are people who don't know that they're on camera. Those yeah. are unscripted. Sometimes they don't go well. Sometimes they have to cut the cameras or edit them. So those are the only real like reality things that I can think of on TV that aren't like a social media TikTok or a YouTube channel or something. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, fantastic movie. Love it. Uh, but Mike, do you have any uh, closing thoughts about the Truman Show before we uh, before we close out today's episode? Well, Neil, we got to talk about a couple more Easter eggs because we love Easter eggs here. We did a whole episode on it last Easter. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep that going, of course. Uh, one of my favorite ones that I, I had noticed before, but always wondered why he did it is when Marlon is restocking the vending machines, uh, when uh, Truman is looking for Marlon to uh, basically talk to about how his whole reality is collapsing. I don't know if you noticed, Neil, but Marlon, uh, he starts to remove the chocolate bars when Truman turns to leave. And he does this because he thinks the scene is ending. Uh, And uh, obviously, no one uses vending machines on the set. So he's actually removing all these things because on the set, it's, you know, free food and everything. So um, (laughs) and I I had noticed that before when I watched it. It's just a really strange thing because another cinematography thing here, the, the camera is in the back of the vending machine. Right. So you actually don't see either uh, Truman or Marlon centered at all. They're actually both offset from the camera. It's a very strange uh, angle, but we see this many times throughout the movie. And so you actually, your eye actually focuses on Marlon rather rather than Truman, which is also interesting. And so you're kind of focused and you're made to focus on him weirdly stalking (laughs) this vending machine (laughs) and going to be like, what is he doing? Yeah, that, that's an interesting scene where he's like, he because he's talking to his friend, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm on to, when he was really on to people, not knowing that Marlon was also in on the yeah. in on the conspiracy as well. Like, you know, he's clapping to see if everybody notices, which I, I do in public sometimes too. It's actually a really good test to see if, if someone's paying attention to you. And if they don't react to you, then that means that they think something's up. It's like, did they, did they, did they do anything? No, exactly. Like, mm. that's, that's a, that's a real good test. It's like Kramer when he's, uh, he sees Joe DiMaggio and Dunkin' Donuts and banging on the table. <laughs> the other one too that i have is uh peter weir the director wanted to have cameras in theaters and and at one of the few points in the movie where the screen does go to black which i talked about before uh he wanted to turn on the movie cameras and show the audience on screen and then go back to the movie oh wow that's interesting yeah so like when you saw this movie in theaters you would be on on the on the screen then yep for like i guess a couple seconds and then it would go back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That would that would freak me out. Now that makes it a horror movie because yeah, exactly. I would be super freaked out of that. <laughs> that's me. You see that that's the thing about this film like watching it when you know everything going into it. Like there's no twist in this film and I feel like it could have done with like a twist. Maybe that would be an improvement that I could have come up with. Like maybe going into this film it would have been cooler if they didn't um they didn't market it as a show about a man on TV his entire life. Like that would have been a really cool twist. Oh, well, Neil, I actually wrote up something about this that I wanted to talk about. So great, great segue. Uh, I so I somewhat agree. And I was thinking about this the other day after watching and I was like, yeah, it's interesting that they kind of they somewhat give away what's going on uh, right away uh, that, you know, that this is a fabricated reality, but you don't know the complete extent of it. 
Well, there is a movie that came out the year before that actually kind of does do that, where they don't tell you what's going on. Uh, the audience has no idea. The audience only knows what the main character knows. And that's The Game, starring Michael Douglas, uh, where uh, directed by David Fincher, where the premise is it was very similar, but it's much darker because, yeah, of course, the audience really just knows what Michael Douglas is doing. And he knows that his reality is breaking down in the same way. Uh, and then you kind of discover what the game, what this really is. And it's it's a really cool movie. And I, I personally really love it. And it's um it's definitely a lot, lot more sinister and dark than The Truman Show because you don't know anything more than Truman does. You don't know who's in on it. You don't know who's not. Okay. Uh, and, and I really love that about it. Yeah, that would have been way too similar, I guess. Kind of like the uh, the Armageddon Deep Impact uh, film that we had in the '90s as well. Same where, year, like, actually, '98 as Truman there you Show. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like every it seemed like every studio was coming out with a very similar film. I like that the Truman Show put that comedic spin on it, like we joked yeah. about at the beginning of the episode. This uh, this movie is basically ten genres wrapped into one. <laughs> yep. No, it really is, and I think that's what makes it unique. So I'm glad they did go this route. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's that's awesome. I I love those Easter eggs. Do you have any more in the in your Easter basket there, Mike? Yes, Neil, I have one more, and that's a really, really cool one that I found, which is you notice every morning, and I'll actually a lot of times throughout the day, Jim Carrey is, well, Truman's, Truman is taking vitamins. He is taking supplements because he's not exposed to sunlight, Neil. He has to take vitamin D, and I guess he was, grew, he grew up with that and was uh, kind of instilled with taking these vitamins uh, forever as a, as a child, so you actually see him taking them and you actually see the bottles quite quite often whenever he's in his home or at the office wow i did not notice that 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 see that's the point where it's like there's so much attention to g there's so much attention to detail in this world that it gets to be creepy like how many things that they thought of (laughs) and like down to the supplements that he has to take so cool man how does the grass grow in that world do you think that's a good question. That's a plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> or it's fake? But he's cut it. He cuts it. Like he's th- there's a scene of him cutting the grass. Ah, see, here's another plot hole. How are these maybe plants they, staying alive? Yeah, maybe they and, put like longer grass. Like you know, like they every time he's asleep, they go out and resod the grass. Who knows, Neil? And, and like, are there any birds? Are there squirrels? Are there animals in this town? Like you never see other than the the, the dalmatian, like the dogs. There's no animals. Oh my god! I'm get, now I'm starting to get freaked out. <laughs> Oh, geez, Mike, oh, <laughs> we need to close this out. Otherwise, I'm going to start to lose my mind and uh, I'm going to start to see the seams of my own reality. So while I'm breaking down in here trying to find where the cameras are, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 12 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast? Well, Neil, on episode 12, we'll go to a super realistic, very realistic GameCube game. It's nice. Super Monkey Ball Ooh. 1 and 2. Uh, of course, uh, reality does not break down for those, but they are fantastic games and we talked about them way back on episode 12 of the GameCube is Cool podcast, so we wanted to do them justice because we kind of threw them in with uh, the other Super Monkey Ball games as well as the Pac-Man World games, so we wanted to break them down a little bit more, talk about them, play them. Of course, there are the Banana Mania versions of these on the Switch, so Neil and I will be playing that to get ready for the episode, and um, it's going to be a good time. We'll have some fun guests on, too. Oh, that's going to be awesome. I love the Monkey Ball games. They're so much fun. There's so many of them, but we're going back to our roots with Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2 on the GameCube. I loved playing those games back in the day. They're so simple to learn, but so difficult to master, which I'm sure we said a lot back when we covered these games 
two or three years ago at this point. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be uh, a lot of fun and uh, not as much of a deep story and plot as the Truman Show, but <laughs> Monkey Ball still has a very special place in our hearts. So it's going to be a ton of fun to talk to you about that next week. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 11 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everyone over there. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Good night. Bye-bye. <laughs> the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada, and hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Benito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Pedro Marquez, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Jude, and Way Overrated. What about, like, the families there? You know, like, the family that he does say, like, goodbye to? Like, is she... What's, like, the kid is involved in this? Uh... How much do they get paid? I have a lot of questions. I, I only have questions. Yeah, and let, let's say there's a writer strike or a, an actor strike. Like, <laughs> yeah. are they a part of SAG Afro? What is it called? SAG Afro or whatever? Like, if, yeah. does does he just wake up and no one's there anymore? He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, okay, I'm going back to bed. Again, this these these would be the thing. If I was in this world, I would just be poking holes in the reality of like, like how do the actors work? I would just be on that protest line asking all those weird questions. <laughs> He's going back to bed and listening to the 2004 version of 1985. Oh yeah. Oh God. Don't, that's scary.